I'm the sorority girl that you hooked up with last week and saw at a bake sale at Smokes this weekend, Caroline. And I'm the white claw that somehow got you blackout, Adiel. And welcome to Bottoms on Top. We're happy to have you. So, today is going to be an extra exciting episode. I think it's going to be really kooky. We have a few guests coming to talk about different aspects of the arts. We have Zena coming to talk with us about makeup, Briar and Sai coming to talk about arts and literature. I don't really know much about the art field since I'm in the sciences, so I love learning about mediums and subjects that are not in my wheelhouse. So I think it's going to be really informative and I'm excited to listen. And me, as someone who only studies arts and crafts, it sometimes feels like this is going to be a great refresher. Growing up, like, I thought I was, like, a crafty girl, and I had a bedazzler. Oh, not you. I had all the um, little sticks and glue and glitter glue. Oh, like the popsicle sticks? Yes. Oh, Oh, my God. I would make shit with them. I don't even know. Oh, wait, I forgot also. I had a whole phase where... You know those big-ass buckets of those beads? <gasps> I knew you were going to say it. I <laughs> like 10,000-plus beads. Mm-hmm. I was obsessed. And then you'd, like, iron them in a little design. Oh, my God. You were the first Visco girl. Those were so good. Like, tell me they were not so fucking fun. I remember my friend actually got she got an ear infection because her sister, like, shoved one in her ear. <laughs> and she had to go to the hospital. <laughs> no, for me, it was part of that IB thing like we talked about before. And oh because of that, I did not get any choice in what classes I was picking. So I never got to take any arts or crafts or like any mm. kind of art class mm-hmm. in high school. In middle school, I don't remember. Maybe there were times that we did it in class, but it wasn't like a class that I took ever. I was really like pen that I was like, fuck, I feel undereducated in this area. I'm going to be a fine arts minor, which was interesting. Like I feel uh, like a lot of other girls, they had like some kind of background in it. I... I've always wanted to be involved in the arts, but I never had, I feel like, the skills to do mm-hmm. it. So I've always appreciated it. And I work at a theater. I am always going to shows and stuff. I remember one time in middle school, I think, my mom brought me, she had her and her little suburban mom friends had a psychic come to their house. And it was like a wine and cheese kind of night. And she had me come too. And the psychic told me, she said, you have artist hands like an artist. You have hands oh. that look like they can paint and write. And she's like, do you do anything like that? And I was like, no, I'm oh. no. <laughs> she was like, that's really shocking to me. Like, you have, like, very, like, art- artistic hands. I was like, oh, okay, okay, thanks. <laughs> Did that tell you anything about your future? No, here I am. Still nope. <laughs> not doing shit. I did color guard in high school, which is like. What's that? like the arts and that it was part of the marching band it was mm-hmm. the girls with the flags <gasps> cadet kelly i wasn't on the rifle team yet there was like a rifle, rifle. y'all y'all carry <laughs> it's georgia it's georgia <laughs> it was like flags rifles and sabers and <laughs> literally weapons <laughs> and flags was like the level one doing that so i was a fresh i only did a freshman year i quit my my ass quit after that i said i'm good we were planning on talking about thanksgiving today and so i'm wondering what was your high school like with holiday season was there like a big culture around it i would say since growing up in the south majority of the people the popular girls were the mega church tv preacher kind of christian girls Mm -hmm. so they all celebrated 
Christmas and stuff. So I only knew in high school one Jewish person. So everyone celebrated Christmas. That was just, they wouldn't even call it winter break. People would call it Christmas break, Mm. which looking back, I'm like, that's like problematic because it's like, you're not including anyone else in it. But it was so just, you're used to doing that, you know? It was very white Christian centered Mm -hmm. is what it was. Coming up here and a lot of days off school being revolved around like Jewish holidays is really fascinating and interesting to me. And I appreciate it because i think it it's helped me learn about other cultures Mm -hmm. yeah i feel like because i went to such a culturally diverse high school that kind of made us not want to do stuff like thanksgiving and christmas you know what i mean Ah, okay okay it was kind of like the opposite Mm -hmm. where we didn't really have that culture on purpose which is interesting to me and i feel like at penn i get a lot of people talking about it like a lot of people bring it up towards the break which is like oh where are you going what are you doing i'm like I mean, I'm from Philly, like it's kind of set in stone what I'm going to do. And I don't really bring that conversation up a lot because I have a lot of friends who like want to go home but can't for so many reasons, Mm -hmm. which is hard. And I don't blame people who bring that up because it's like an exciting time of the season. But Mm -hmm. let's just talk about like Black Friday deals instead of where everyone's going. Oh my God. Wait, I could talk about Black Friday. I am like stereotypical, like Caucasian ass suburban family Mm -hmm. where Thanksgiving dinner, 4 p.m., period. We go out to Walmart at 6 p.m. because the sales start. The sales are, like, timed out, we've realized. We, it's the been, day of? Or? Yes. Oh. So this started happening a couple of years ago. I remember, like, middle school, high school. And we were never the people that, like, were cuckoo and would be like, I want a TV. Like, we were never, like, the TV kind of crazy people. Like, we right. would go and get Christmas sweaters at Walmart because they have them for, like, 20 bucks. So we'd all get, like, matching ugly Christmas sweaters. Aww. People watch for, like, two hours mm. and, like, see people fight. I remember I saw someone fight over, like, sheets. I've seen people, like, screaming at each other, security getting called. Like, and then the next day we'll get up at 6 a.m. And go to a mall in our matching ugly Christmas sweaters and go off for a couple hours at Macy's. I love that. I've never really had that experience. I did go once with my dad at like 6 a.m. the day of Black Friday to Staples, I think. Staples! Because my dad was obsessed with flash drives. I don't know why. But he loved, like, he was like, oh my god, there's this 8 gigabyte flash drive for $4 at (laughs) Staples today. And I'm like... That doesn't sound like a big <laughs> saving. Like, but he was obsessed. He was like, trust me, I'm saving millions. <laughs> and so he acted about it anyway. And I loved it. It was cute. I was like, He was like first in line waiting outside. <laughs> and they're like, sir, like there's not a there's nothing. There's no line. <laughs> I remember when flash drives were like a whole thing. Remember like yeah. elementary school? Like when you got one, you're like, oh, like I'm a real student now. Like I have mm-hmm. a flash drive. <laughs> what did you put on there? Like what? Homework? I don't know. Think about it. I'm like, what the fuck did I put on there? What did we put on flash drives? Who the fuck? We don't need one. If you put anything on your flash drive and you remember it, please email podcast at the DP.com. I really want to know. That should be a research paper. There were were funny kooky ones though, like an eraser or like, you know, like the really elongated ones. Oh my God. Like that was the clout. And I think that also regardless of where you're spending your Thanksgiving break, like if you're off campus, there's a lot of options for free Thanksgiving dinner. If you're not, Hope you're having a safe and fun time and that like you're filling it with people that you love regardless of what your situation is. Yes. So I'm excited to go in today's episode. So we'll see you soon, viewers. See you soon. All right, everybody, let's get this show on the road. So for our first segment today, we have Zena. Zena, do you want to introduce yourself? Um, yeah, sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Zena. I'm a senior I'm in computer science. 
I'm from Nairobi, Kenya, and I love makeup, and I'm going to be doing makeup with Adiel today. So what's going to happen, from what I've been told secretly, <laughs> is that Adiel and Zena are going to be doing each other's makeup, and I'm going to be asking questions during this process. So Caroline chose the uh-huh, honey, from <laughs> ColourPop. So we're going to do an eye look and a lip look? Yes. Does that sound good? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, first question. When did you guys first try or get into makeup? I got into makeup pretty young. I remember I was pretty much buying, like, cheap lipstick, cheap lip gloss, like, when I was, like, 15, 16, because my mom was like, I'm not buying you any makeup. (laughs) So I used to, like, save up my allowance and, like, buy, like, some cheap stuff because, like, I was so intrigued by it. Nice. And from what I can see right now, Adiel is putting concealer on Zena's eyes Mm -hmm. to get it looked. We're priming the eyes. Professional. Mm -hmm. I had not really had a formal introduction to makeup. I think the first time that it was done on me was freshman (laughs) year doing, like, a drag look at the end of the year, also for QPen for the drag show. And my friend Zubeda, she did my makeup for that. It was kind of a hectic moment because at the same time, our other friend was doing a drag king look and so she was like in the room with us complaining about how her bulge looked way too big and we were like no go bigger (laughs) it was like the crazy it was the most hectic so that was how I first got into makeup but I didn't do it on myself I was kind of just like in awe like I had no idea what was going on you know what I mean and then I started learning how to do it through YouTube actually like I asked my friends questions here and there because I was interested in it when I started doing my own drag looks But really, it wasn't until I got into, like, YouTuber drama, and then from there it was like, okay, well, these people are actually making points. So, Mm -hmm. next question. Which celebrity always has makeup that is on point? First person to come to mind is Zendaya. Mm. (gasps) Yes, the euphoria vibes. Oh, yeah. Oh, the euphoria vibes, the red carpet vibes. She just gives us all the looks. Yeah, that show was so... Oh my gosh, I loved it. It was very relevant to our generation. Like, there's no show that's this relevant and this, like, in tune with everyone. Like, it's kind of crazy. Like, the outfits, the references, One Direction fan fiction. Mm-hmm. They talked about that shit. I was like, that hits home. <laughs> so what I can see right now is Zena is putting an orange look mm-hmm. on Adiel. I want it to be bright. So now I'm going to be going in with the next color. Yellow kind of all over the eyes with a pop in the middle, but I'm going to take a little spin on it. So, who's your favorite controversial beauty YouTuber? I feel like I really love Jackie, and she can be messy sometimes, Jackie Ina. My problematic fave is Thomas Halbert. <laughs> yeah. He is, like, yeah, he, I remember. He's messy. I've never even watched him. He's a white gay. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, he's very messy. <laughs> he does have good content. I do kind of like him, but yeah. he, like, was involved with, like, so with Jeffrey that he had drama? Yeah. I think it was something with that. He's like had drama with everybody. I agree about Jackie Ina. I watch her so constantly, but her hot takes, sometimes I'm like, sis. sis I know. <laughs> but it's not my community. Like I can't say anything. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to like leave a comment as if anyone does that anymore. But I totally get where you're coming from with that. And I think I hate to love... Jeffrey, he is such a cultural icon, and I'm like, I have to watch the videos so that I know what people are talking about. I would say... Oh, I've honestly always been a Tati stan. We Mm. talked about this the first episode with the, like, Fuck, Mary Kill game. Tati, I've been there since day one. Her palette looks really fucking good, too. I haven't watched any other reviews besides, like, hers, but... 
That palette looks damn good. I'm watching this makeup unfold. Okay. It's looking good. Very polished. Damn, y'all good. So, what brand do you think has the best packaging? The Conspiracy palette <gasps> is beautiful. What Period. is that Conspiracy Audiel. I know. I Cancel me. Cancel me, sis. <laughs> I didn't buy it. The Conspiracy Palette is Shane Dawson's collab with Jeffree Star. Oh, you're canceled. I yeah, know, I know. girl, you're done. You're done Listen, for. I'm not buying it. I don't stand, but it is beautiful. If it does show up in my mail, I yeah. might not send it back. <laughs> I feel so bad for anyone who's listening and is like, I don't have, I don't give a shit about makeup, y'all. Yeah, they're like, I'm tuning the fuck out. Like, God. I, I want to get into TikTok. <gasps> Let's talk about it. Let's not. <laughs> Why not? I, I think. I, at first, I was like, because like my sister, she's 14, and she really got into it like earlier this year. And I was just like, oh, it's a nerdy like kid thing, you know? Uh-huh. And then like I've just been saying like all these videos now, and I'm like, oh, I think I want to get into TikTok. It looks like so much fun. <laughs> yep. So it's Southern Christians, U.S. Marines. Yes. Middle schoolers. Yes. E-boys. E-boys. <gasps> Those are new. You know what? I kind of I hate that I... And like, Mark Mitchell. What is an e-girl or an e-boy? It's such a, like, trend now, but it's, like, kind of, not emo, but, like, the current emo kids-ish, mm. but they're, like, you know they have, like, cherry emoji Twitter kind of, like, uh. very, like, chains and that kind of shit, and, like, electronic music house shows, mm-hmm. but I would say they're all kind of, like, emo Timothy Chalamet's. Oh. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, like a, grunge. What's, like, the difference between, like, an e-girl and a visco girl? So, visco girls think that they're alternative, but they're really, like, the most basic ass, yeah. like, bottom mm. of the totem pole, like, scrunchies, hydro flask, potion shit on visco, like, it's, like, an art gallery. I'm quoting, ja- can we talk about that part of it? Quoting Jasmine Masters, like, it's nothing. Yes. Literally, they don't even know the origins At of all. the, and I oop, and I oop. And then, like, they think that they're, like, being funny humor. Like, they think that they're something, but they're not. E-girls, I'm going to give it to them. I feel like Visco girls think they're alternative, but, like, E-girls actually are kind of alternative. Uh And the music they listen to, I actually just kind of figured out, because I was, like, a 1D stan, like, used to be all up on stan Twitter kind of thing, and I somewhat am, but not really. It's, like, K-pop girls now. Uh I just found out about Youngblood, who's like this emo kind of grunge kid that sings about, sings? Eh, that's like a loose term, about um, <laughs> being like a messed up generation. And like, like we're like the crazy kids kind of thing. But he's like super British from the same place as Louis Tomlinson. But he was going out with Halsey last year. Ooh. Yeah, people are, people are going to listen to this and be like, girl, how the fuck did you not? Like this is not brand new information. It is brand new information to me. So he used to be on like Disney UK and like had a show on that. They had their own shows on Disney UK? You're kidding me. No, not One Direction, Youngblood. Oh. Yeah, this little emo kid. But now he like produces music and all this shit and is very, I know he doesn't shower. Like he just doesn't look like he, (gasps) I know he doesn't, but I love it. That's the type of like, oh my God, like I love like Timothy Chalamet ass, like, Mm -hmm. oh, period. I know exactly what you mean. That's, like, so my type. I will forever, like, any, like, e-boy. Love it. Like, that will always be my type. Like, I think it came from, it stemmed from the psychological, like, going back into my childhood, like, Mm -hmm. Harry Styles. Having that throughout my whole life. Right. (laughs) 
Okay, so we never even got into it. So what happened to you? Where were you? What was the situation when you found out oh, that Wan D was no longer? One Direction. Okay. So makeup wise right now, she got a little bit of yellow. It's kind of like shimmery, very shimmery right now. I'm about to change up the game. Oh, who? Like, period. Oh, I love it. Okay, I'm ready. What else do you see? Oh, and then you have like a very like fanned out like orange. I really like it. I really it fits your skin tone really well. See, that's the jewel tones coming through and Zena's expertise. Okay, so one direction breakup story. So we're off topic viewers, but I'm controlling now, so you're gonna listen. So <laughs> I was in what was it? No, I remember when Zayn left. It was junior year of high school. And I was in French class and my friend, one of my gays texted me and was like, Zayn left the band. And I was like, okay, like, shut the fuck up. Like, funny, <laughs> funny joke. Like, it's a, what, Thursday? Shut up. And he was like, no, he did. And he sent me a Facebook link. And I was like, people don't send Facebook links. Why the fuck did you send me a Facebook link? Like, that shit must be real. <laughs> so I literally, like, saw the Facebook post and it was this long, like, whatever the fuck statement saying he's leaving. And I fully was in French class. I got up and left, cried in the bathroom for, like, 10 minutes. And then came back got my stuff and was like on the computer for a couple minutes and then the class got dismissed i ran my ass like out drove home but then i forgot i had work (laughs) so i was like crying on my way to work was at work like doing a cashier job not interacting with anyone and then cried on the way home listening to four and so whenever they broke up broke up i remember i think i was already like kind of since i was transitioning to college was already kind of like falling out of it so i wasn't too mad i was already like on my i was like i'm only here for harry like the rest of y'all ugly like if i stayed on stan twitter i would have gotten on the boat of like k-pop people and i would have like easily worked my way into that type of stan but i kind of like fell off and didn't go fuck anymore so i got obsessed with drag queens through oh. just like gay twitter and because i saw everyone watching all stars 2 and tweeting about it and i was like i want to be included let me in on this yes the eye looks are coming together i love it using techniques and shit mm-hmm. <laughs> no period you already know I feel like I've always been, like, a YouTube girl. I was kind of, like, raised on the internet and that, like, my mom would be, like... Do you remember Nickelodeon Day of Play? Not the Day of Play. I fucking... Whenever it was, like, the whole channel, you would go to Nickelodeon on the TV and it would, like, have just a screen that says, like, go outside and play. Go outside and play. And I was, like, fuck that shit. I don't want to do that. And my mom was, like, just turn it to Disney. And I was, like, okay. (laughs) Stop. And we're just, like, watch Disney. You had your work around. (laughs) That's I was so like, oh, funny. okay, sounds good. So while we're finishing things up, where do you think the future of makeup is going to take us? Where do you think it should go or where do you think it's going to go? So I think that it's going to go like in the like very inclusive route. Like Fenty started it with like the 40 Shades of Foundation mm-hmm. and stuff. And so like I think it's going to like go that way from from here on out. Um, I hope it doesn't become like gimmicky. and Like brands are just doing it to like get profit uh, and like they're doing it to actually like include everyone and like be diverse mm-hmm. um yeah. but yeah that's like where i hope to see it and like less of course like less drama i think i'm afraid of the too many foundations being like more of a step backwards and not a step forwards because like not acknowledging mm-hmm. your clientele and not having people represented in your marketing and things like that and in also the planning stages of makeup it shows in the final product like you have 40 shades 
Riri's was perfect, but like everyone else, like you have forty shades, mm-hmm. and they just don't work. Like the darker skin tones are way too red, or they're way too cool, cool toned, or there's just not that many of them. It's like a problem that I f- think that a lot of YouTubers like Jackie Ina point out when they do their reviews. It's like numbers aren't everything, and so that's the caution part. But I do agree. I think that it's going to move it towards a more inclusive path, and I think I fear that it'll get more and more expensive with time. Um, and more YouTuber driven mm. because that's like really how they get yes. new makeup out. I would say I actually really do think that the whole 75, 80% of the makeup community will be YouTuber driven. Mm-hmm. That's a very good point because I think probably one of the first like collaborations, I feel like Morphe, because like Morphe kind of came out of nowhere and they got their clout from partnering with YouTubers. Back to like the inclusivity thing. I hope companies also like have good intentions behind it because I was talking with someone the other day about how pride it all pride parades now they're not really it's not as so much as a celebration of pride and like freedom kind of thing it's more corporations that are like mm-hmm. oh rainbows yes let's put out a t-shirt like target H&M kind of thing and it's like let's make a profit off of pride even if they don't give a shit about like lgbtq rights like mm-hmm. like the intention's not good yeah i definitely agree with like the pride thing because i was i went to like the pride parade in like um, san francisco and it was just so shocking to see like i think like most of the parade was just like corporations like yes marching down like the street wow. and i was just like i don't think this is like what like the people like who start pride i don't think this is what they would like have wanted to see yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah because it's the corporations that like oppressed this community like now saying that they're like for it kind of thing so i see now that audio's look is finished yes and so is zena's yes oh let me see oh okay that's a mix of colors i like that that actually works really well together it better because i'm gonna keep it on yeah an orange and a blue like that works really well together i love that so do you think that we should Go have a look? Lips. We should look in the mirror? Yes. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to first I'm gonna reveal. First. <gasps> oh, I love this. So first impressions, it's vibrant. I can really see what Caroline said. The jewel tones work for me. There's, it's a lot of contrast between blue and orange, I feel. And Ms. Zena, you ready? I'm ready. Ooh, oh my god, I love it. I love it. Really? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love it with like the glitter. Oh. Yeah, that pops. Oh gosh. That oh I love the glitter. And I think that's a good note to end on. Um, I just want to say thank you to Zana for coming on. Yes, thank you, Queen. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, this was so much fun today. Welcome back, listeners. So now we are going to move on to our next segment, and we have our guests, Saeed and Briar, here today. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for having us. So if you guys want to introduce yourselves to the audience. Okay, so my name is Briar. I use they, them pronouns. I am an English major with a creative writing concentration, which jury's still out about whether that makes you a creative writing major or not. I don't know. And a gender, sexuality, and women's studies minor. Hi. (laughs) My name is Um, I am a bio major in African-American studies minor at Temple. Straight out of Temple, y'all. Today we're here to talk about how arts and literature is more than just a requirement in the College of Arts and Sciences. Very much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One thing that I wanted us to be thinking about to start is trans poetics. And I know that Briar has 
informed me a lot about it. It's kind of what it says in the tin, just like the idea of kind of like looking at poetry that's been created by trans folks or gender fluid or anybody with a kind of quote unquote like broader experience of gender and looking to how they talk about those experiences. And there's this kind of like, I think a freeing lack of kind of constraints that poetry has that I think allows folks to talk about like a lot of different lived experiences in a much like less constrained way. So there's kind of like no right or wrong way to do poetry in that regard. And I think in the same way, there's no right or wrong way to do gender. So my question about that was, what do the both of you think about why trans poetry is important for all queer people and mm. all people really to be taking in? I'm not trans. So I like obviously don't want to like speak for trans people, but I think that it is a gateway for us to listen to them mm -hmm. because sometimes, well, a lot of the time I feel like people and, but especially those within the LG B community, you know, the don't listen to trans people. I think like some of it is intentional, but some of it, I feel like we are so like, we want to be like, we're for you. We stand with you. But I think the best way to express that all the time is to just let them speak. And I think one of the cool like spaces that 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 like poetry creates in that regard is that I think a lot of people don't always expect to understand poetry and that it is this kind of inherent medium that like you can just appreciate for how it sounds, how it looks and without necessarily totally understanding it. And I think that like if folks were able to kind of understand the sort of like meta-ness of that in that regard I think it could I think it like has the possibility to lend to like a higher degree of like understanding of like oh I don't necessarily totally understand this mm -hmm. but I mean first step it's right in front of me so clearly it exists mm -hmm. but also that doesn't mean that a this is wrong or that this is not poetry this is just like not my thing or like or I just don't understand it and that's not because it's wrong and it's not because I'm stupid it's just because it's like that's kind of how poetry works that's kind of how poetry exists exactly and then and then when you add like the trans experience to that it's really like yeah I don't understand this mm -hmm. you know what I mean but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to respect it and that I'm not going to shine light on it and I'm not going to tell other people hey y'all should check this out because this yeah. is happening yeah especially in a period where you know trans people are very much so blocked out of a lot yeah. of things mm -hmm. within a lot yeah. of communities so I think you also kind of come into poetry expecting to have a very personal experience with a poem mm -hmm. like I think that and it's a sort of thing of like all four of us could read the same piece right now and a different line would stick out to all of us. Exactly. And maybe we would both appreciate the same thing, but maybe it's for different reasons. And it's again, like, none of us are wrong. I think this is true of everyone, but I think that trans people, trans folks just tend to be a little bit more, we just tend to, we tend to be a little bit more, I think, conscious that like our experience of gender is unique to us. And again, I think poetry kind of like as a way to kind of like introduce that idea into people's minds is a very like helpful medium in that regard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. That's very interesting for me to hear, given that I always have viewed poetry as a form of me going into someone else's world and seeing what their lived experience has been like. But through listening to people reading their poetry out loud or through reading anthologies or collections of poetry, I've found that like what Briar is getting at, a lot of the time for me, it's my experiencing of the poem is its own unique thing. I'm not just like mm -hmm. getting an inside look into someone else's yes. world. I'm also experiencing some of my own emotional yes. 
connection to that, which mm-hmm. is interesting. So I wanted to also ask about your personal connections to the written form mm-hmm. and not even just specifically poetry, but what that has been able to do for you and why you value it. Well, I started like writing. I didn't get super serious about it until my senior year of high school, literally. And even then, um, I was at a predominantly white Catholic high school. So, Youth. yes, Ooh, loaded, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I was very limited to what I could say publicly, mm-hmm. um, that I was gay. And obviously everyone knew that I was black. And then uh, I'm a girl. So it's kind of like a triple whammy here. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of stepping into like a danger zone. Like I remember um, for my senior like final paper or whatever, I literally wrote about something so just like surface level. It was just the disparities between uh, white people and black and like other people of color going on in this country. And it was during the whole like Trump-Hillary bullshit. And so like I thought that I was doing something by like writing it. And I turned it in. And my teacher, I knew just from word of mouth that he was like a Trump supporter. But I, I, I didn't give a fuck, you know? And he literally, I remember I, we got the papers back a week later, and I literally failed. But here's the thing. I got a 69. He could have bumped that shit up to a 70, but mm. he didn't. He literally failed me. And like it was like I had to basically like talk to everybody in the administration. My, they're all white. So it's kind of like, because they were like, you know, if you fail this paper, it's like you can't fucking walk. So, and, oh, my God. And, yeah. It was crazy. Like, I had to basically, like, work to, like, walk at graduation. Wow. And then, I, I, like, I already, like, didn't care about school. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of, like, it, you know, it was it was a whole thing. But anyways, back to the actual thing. Yeah, no, I started writing at, like, a really young age just because, like, I really wasn't allowed to express a lot of more vulnerable emotions with my family and then there's obviously a lot of feelings that I felt that my that I knew that my family wouldn't understand but I knew that I understood it so it was just a nice little creative outlet but specifically poetry I don't know have you guys ever heard of um Kai Davis she is a Philly-based poet yeah I she's the one that actually got me into poetry I found one of her poems just, like, scrolling through YouTube when I was in, like, seventh grade. Mm. And she did this very, very, very just, like, impactful poem about um, someone who's gay and they're bullied every day by their family, their friends, just society, you know what I mean? And they commit uh, mass murder. And it's just, like, it's, it was just, I don't know, I just felt every single emotion, like, as she was reading this. And, like, my, I'm, like... A, what 12 13 and I was like oh my like holy shit like this is real like people do this for a living like mm-hmm. and then people are good at it like yeah. mm-hmm. so then that's when I started like actually you know feeling like writing and reading poetry was my my gig my thing mm. wow what about you Briar? <laughs> I it's interesting I was always a kind of like a very creative kid and when I was younger I remember my mom like really encouraging me to journal and then I have a really hard time journaling because I think I always feel this need to like have some kind of cohesion or like some kind of like a kind of sequential narrative of like I'm like okay well today I woke up and then I did this 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 so when I'm journaling about today I gotta put that 
And then I would kind of like write short stories and write, you know, like the terrible crap that you churn out when you're yes. like 11 or 12. Yes. <laughs> um, and it's like so oh, bad. It's so good. Just, <laughs> it's just like so, it's just like, like looking back at it, you're like, wow, like oh. I was really trying to piece oh all, my like, God. piece things together about how <laughs> yeah. I felt because we didn't have the language to really Oh, no, even. not at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not at all. And I mean, I remember I found like, my family moved a couple years ago and I found this old notebook and I remember it was like one of those things where I like remember it so distinctly like right this came from like a shitty corner store these pages are like so thin I can barely see them and it's like I used to have to write on every other page because even a pencil would like show through the next page (laughs) Um, but I like looked through and I like I'd give myself like prompts so I'd like (laughs) would like put like a shitty sticker that I got probably out of like a chip packet or something and like on the stage and then be like this sticker is and it was just like, so funny. I, was like yes. I was like I'm like kiddo you were trying so hard um but I had a really great teacher for like seventh grade English who oh god I actually yes. was very fortunate I had some really phenomenal English teachers when I was in high school but this guy his name was Dr. Cooper and he was, like, one of the only doctors at my high school. And, you know, he didn't last long. He went off to bigger and better things, which, you know, good for him. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he was really into poetry. So for, like, National Poetry Day or something, like, he would put posters all over school with, like, little poems on them. Like, ones that you could read as you're walking past and still be like, oh, yeah. Like, the next year, he got, like, a bunch of, like, little kids who had all been in his class before to be poem activists. Mm -hmm. So we all, like, memorized poems. And then we got excused from our English classes. And our job was to go around the school bursting into classrooms, just, like, opening the door and going this is poetry activism and like jumping on a desk and reciting the poetry and then just leaving. And like, we thought it was so cool. Of course, like he had emailed all the teachers whose classes we were disrupting and being like, is this okay? And they were all like, oh yeah, this is hilarious. Go for it. So good. Shout out to all like English teachers, oh bro. Oh my God. Like, like so I don't know. Much. I can talk. So much. I can, I think it's within queer culture too. Mm-hmm. I don't like say like it's just my eighth grade English teacher was like Ugh. my best friend before high school. I was I was at a public middle school, so it was it was much more diverse. So mm-hmm. a lot of the kids in my classes were black and brown, Asian. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you know there were kids who were definitely more or less fortunate, but it was mm-hmm. like when we stepped into that classroom and we were able to just write what we wanted. Mm-hmm. Kids were so vulnerable and you know, but you know what I mean they'd be like yeah my you know like my dad's in jail or yeah. you know both of my parents are on drugs really bad you know mm-hmm. just like things like that but she didn't look at it as like kind of like a white savior type of thing yeah. she allowed us to write these things down and then she would say okay so how how are we going to work and you know towards like a better goal like how are we going to become yeah better people because of this. Something that's also really amazing about exactly that kind of setup is it's also inherently like people are going to write this down and then we're going to listen to them if they want to talk to us about it. And that is, I think, a skill that, oh my God, I wish people had more. Yeah. Of like the thing Mm -hmm. of like, we're all going to sit and do this thing together. And then after Mm -hmm. we're done, we're all going to listen to each other. Exactly. I remember I was always kind of a science math kid, mm-hmm. like all up elementary, middle, high school. But my I did the IB program in mm-hmm. high school and I did English for two years. 
and hated my junior year teacher, but my senior year one, mm-hmm. he had couches in his classroom, all that shit. <laughs> you know, he's that, he's yeah. that kind of teacher. Yeah. And he made us read Mrs. Dalloway. Oh. And I had never had that type of experience with literature before mm-hmm. where I had to like, it resonated with me so much. Yeah. Because mm. like he, like reading it, I remember I opened the first page and I was like, what the fuck is this? Yep. Yep. <laughs> and, yep. and I was yep. like, I'm going to close this book. But then he was like, he went through like the first like 10 pages with us and taught us how to read it. Mm. And yeah. I fell in love with the book. No. And it's still my favorite book to this day. It's wow. when people actually sit down with you and they're like, mm-hmm. you can enjoy this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I know for me, I need someone to break things down for me. I need people mm-hmm. to physically be like, okay, so this is what this is. And this mm-hmm. is what this yeah. means. And you know, you can kind of interpret this in your own way, mm-hmm. however you'd like. Mm-hmm. But no, I completely agree. I like, um, fell in love. I my favorite book ever is Giovanni's Room by mm-hmm. James Baldwin. I'm, that is my favorite. <laughs> I'm in a class right now that's just James Baldwin. Shut up! Wait, what's wow. it called? James Baldwin. Oh, period. <laughs> just James Baldwin. I wish. And it's amazing. My professor is a black gay man, mm-hmm. and he's like his whole thing. I was telling Adiel about this yesterday. His whole thing is that like James Baldwin is always talked about as a great black writer yes or as a great gay writer yes and he's like we need to talk about james baldwin mm-hmm. as a great black gay writer, writer. we can put the we can yeah. put these things in the same sentence yeah i'm also a huge tony morrison <gasps> yeah and that's oh my god oh and my let's god, talk oh my god. and we can talk about that too because in her books she said straight up she said White people aren't going to exist in any of my books. How about mm-hmm. that? Yeah. And people, and the, people, you know, critiqued her and mm-hmm. tried to. And yeah. she was like, they were like, oh, why aren't you putting white people in your books? Mm-hmm. She's like, girl, I don't care about white people. Do I look white? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and the other thing, I think it was that interview as well where she, she said, if you look at the books that are being written about white people or by white authors – the things that are being fetishized are inherently racist. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, he has green eyes. Mm-hmm. Look at the color of his eyes, mm-hmm. which is like so crazy that we're taking all of it away from people with brown eyes, which is mm-hmm. a, literally like, let's, let's just talk about it. People of color. Yeah. Brown eyes. Literally, yeah. period. To bring it back to the idea of authors talking about their misery, mm-hmm. I wanted to bring up this idea because this sits on the back of my mind and I personally don't have an answer for it, yeah. but mm-hmm. have any of you heard of the bury your gaze trope in literature? I haven't. So the idea is that in popular culture, this is just the way that people talk about it. Whenever any author writes about, usually a straight author mm-hmm. or cishet author writes about gay people, they usually kill them by the end of the book yeah. or the movie. I think there's this really frustrating, like, capital Q, capital T, queer theory, like, phrase, which is queer futurity. I mean, there's a lot to it, but, like, one of the things that it encompasses is this idea that, like, for young queer people, it's very hard to imagine a future because it's a sort of, like, where can you see yourself? And it's cool for, like, all of us. Like, we live at a time where, you know, know, there's a lot of the idea of, like, discrimination laws. Like, there's a lot of pushback against that. Or so, and there's a lot of, like, you know, if you are congregating in a larger city, like, depending on where you are or how your comfort level, you can move around with, like, a degree of comfort. Like, in a lot of places in the world, like, if you, you know, are in a partnership with somebody of the same gender, you can walk, like, hand in hand and not worry about it or whatever. So 
it's still difficult to kind of envision, I think, especially in America today. And I mean, also, this is a very Western centric view of things. Mm -hmm. Right. So like this is this is like very much true in, you know, the U.S. and Northern America and parts of Europe. But like elsewhere in the world, obviously, like homosexuality is still illegal. So like just to put that out there. But I think it's still a thing that like people who are young queers have a very hard time imagining what their future will look like. One of the one of the reasons that it's important is because it's like it shows people that it's like a reality for some mm. people. Someone was like, can we start making happier queer stories? Mm. Yeah. And, you know, one, I'm not going to police any queer trans person about what the fuck they want to write. Because at mm-hmm. the end of the day, it's just the reality of a lot of queer and trans, trans people's experiences is very mm-hmm. devastating and heartbreaking. And I don't, I think that you're robbing kids of history um that they need to know we need to know about marsha p johnson you Mm -hmm. know what i mean we need to know about these people we need to know what what happened to them so i think for a closing question someone who's not really in the arts Mm -hmm. i would like to know how can someone who's never really had a chance to get super super into poetry and study poetry how can i get into it or what are some recommendations for queer poets You know, the cool thing about being in Philly in this moment is that especially like where, you know, here in the Kelly Writers House, we have the privileged position of being on Penn's campus. And there are there's a really phenomenal independent book center on this campus. One of the cool things that is that I really appreciate doing that I've started doing is like when I read a book of poetry that I really like. I look at the, like, you know, the quotes on the back from, like, who they sent pre-orders to to get quotes for the covers to be like, Mm -hmm. oh, this person also liked this. I wonder what their work is like. Mm. A lot of the time, like, in the acknowledgments at the back of books, they'll thank, like, both, like, their friends and their family and also fellow poets X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, okay, I want to go look at their work. I think a really awesome place to start is there's this um journal there's this literary journal called napantla which is for um voices of color and they put out a um anthology last year called the anthology of queer poets of color and it's noted it's (laughs) extraordinary an anthology is just like a compilation almost of like one sometimes two in this anthology it's just one poet poem from like a whole series of poets right Mm -hmm. so sometimes it'll be like i think this one was done for like like a publisher will put out a call and say like i am looking for the voices of queer poets of color send your work in sometimes Mm -hmm. it will be like a publishing house will like create like a best of the last 10 years and so Mm -hmm. they'll take like two or three poems from like the poets that they've published in the last 10 years and just kind of like put it together but also the cool thing also about um, poets who are producing now is that the majority of them are getting published in like online literary journals, mm-hmm. which means that it's freely accessible yeah. to anybody who wants to be reading them. Mm-hmm. And then when they when some of them get like a little bit, some of these sites get like a little bit bigger, they'll do like a poem a day, and it'll just get emailed into your inbox. And that's obviously not going to be like you know necessarily like queer poets, but I think that that's also the fact that so much of this now lives online mm-hmm. is like a really means that it's like much, much more accessible to a much broader audience, yeah. which I think yeah. for somebody like looking to read poetry and obviously all four of us are students, like exactly we can't. So that's also amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's I, really good advice. Yeah. <laughs> Don't feel 
rushed oh yeah or pressured that you need to know certain poets or know an x amount of poetry in order to say oh i really enjoy this um Mm -hmm. because i think that i mean everything can be very competitive and annoying and there's people that always want to critique 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 but some people are just beginners Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how how old you are either or where you come from you start when you want to start. I learned so much today. Thank you both for coming on of and course. informing and enlightening and inviting people oh, into this conversation. Thank you. Catch y'all later. Bye. Bye. You've just tuned into this episode of Bottoms on Top. Thank you to our guests from today's episode. Thank you to the Wexler Studio and Kelly Ryder's house. Thank you to our executive creative consultant, Sammy Gordon, our DP podcast producer, Sam Mitchell, the DP president, Julia Shore, our assistant editor, Evie Artis, and all of our lovely listeners. 